This is indeed Knives Out Minute, the group movie minute podcast. We break down the 2019 Ryan Johnson whodunit, Knives Out, and we're going to break it down one minute at a time. I'm your guest host for this week, Paul Francis Sullivan. I'm back for one more week. I am the host of the Locked On MLB podcast. I'm also the host of Bull Durham Minute. And guess what? I have a couple other movie minute projects coming up. But because I'm recording this so early, I can't reveal what they is yet. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about Minute 106, which begins with Benoit Blanc saying, yes, the person must have known the contents of the will, and ends with Benoit Blanc saying, this will not be easy for you to hear. Well, something that will be easy for all of us to hear is the wonderful voice of the host, of Fright Night Minute and Karate Kid Minute, it's Robin Burge. How you doing, Robin? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here to talk about Knives Out, uh, one of the best movies in the past couple of years. I, I really love this movie. Yeah, it's such a fun film. It was uh, the last film I saw before COVID in the theater. Oh, wow. So it, it, it has that sort of nostalgia for me. <laughs> um, you know, I've been really, really fortunate that I've had some fun with uh, uh, Heidi Bennett and Megan Tripp when I did the previous two weeks. Looking forward to talking about this with you here. Uh, so when did you, did you see this in the theater? Did you see this in, uh, in, on the, I was about to say the, on tape, which shows you how <laughs> old I am. Uh, I, I saw this uh, uh, on Betamax uh, back <laughs> in 1982. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I, this was a movie that I was, there's not, most of the time I go to movies, it's on my own or I grab a couple of buddies, but there's a certain movies that I'm like, yeah, my wife will be into this one. So I grabbed her and uh, brought her to the theater and watched it. And uh, the theatrical experience, uh, unfortunately, uh, kind of ruined my first time. There was a very active uh, watcher uh, at the theater who it felt like I think Benoit was talking to him and uh, he was kind of Watson following along with the case. So I'd, we, I'd hear it from a few rows down going, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Things, reactions like that where I'm just like, okay. <laughs> and and I kind of left the theater fuming. So my first watch with my wife, my wife was like, that was great. And I was like, oh, I, I wish I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. I, so I, when I saw it again on video, uh, you know, Betamax, uh, it, it was much better and I was much more into it. Yeah, I think that's, that may be a example of some people who are so used to watching things at home mm. that when you take them out, they don't realize there's a way you're supposed to watch it with <laughs> other people. Yeah. Um, you would, a... I really didn't think I was going to bring this story up, but this is what happens with Robin Burge. You know that that <laughs> things flow into other things. Uh, I, I my experience of watching a film that I really do and 
that I really do like very much now that was ruined the first time I saw it was the Fisher King, which Ooh. was the uh, uh, Jeff Bridges, who I think should have been nominated for an Academy Award, and Robin Williams, Mercedes Rule, who did win Terry Gilliam, wonderful Terry Gilliam film mm-hmm. from 1991, and. I saw it at a movie theater in New York City. I was a college student at the time, and it was it had been out for like a month, so there was not a packed theater. And I went to see it. I had heard it was very good. I was a big Terry Gilliam fan. And I sat down and at this theater in Greenwich Village, and as I'm 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 in my row and there's someone sitting maybe six seats away from me in the same row, but I'm near, I'm at the aisle. I like sitting at the aisle in the movie theater, Mm -hmm. watching the film. And, uh, it's near the beginning of the movie. And it's where a critical piece of information happens in the film. And the, and if you haven't seen the Fisher King, it's a, it's, I haven't seen it in a long time. I hope it holds up, but there's a wonderful, there's a, a dramatic moment at the beginning of the film where, uh, just jokingly, uh, uh, the shock jock play by Jeff Bridges encourages one of his callers to kill a bunch of yuppies. He's being super yeah. sarcastic and shocking, and he doesn't. And the guy takes his advice literally and goes on a shooting spree. Mm-hmm. And the very opening of the film is the guy calling up and saying, "Yeah, you got to call. You know, these are these are terrible people. You got to kill them." It's it, and while that scene's happening, which is critical to understand the rest of the movie the guy who was sitting six seats away from me stands up walks over sits down next to me smells like he's been smoking everything on the planet <laughs> like and he says i don't know what you think you're doing sitting here but if you stay here i'm gonna hurt you now what yeah, true story. He said that to me. And I look at it and say, excuse me, you stay here and I'm going to hurt you. Now, the irony is I'm missing the inspiration of a serial killer on the screen because I'm being threatened by a real killer in the movie theater. And so I'm freaked out and I say, okay, because I figured, well, there's an easy solution to this problem. I'll find another seat. And so I sat at the back of the theater and and for the next 25 minutes, I'm a little freaked out, and I miss the whole part of, yeah, something's going on up there. It's just they're talking on the radio or something. And yeah. I miss the whole thing that the whole film explodes from. So I saw it the first time. I was like, I don't, I don't know. It didn't quite work for me. And then I watched it again. It's like, oh, yeah, that's kind of important. <laughs> But yeah. I didn't see the serial killer on the screen because I sat next to a serial killer in the movie theater. Right. We had like a 3D experience almost. Yeah. Yeah, it, was four, it was almost a 4D. 4D. It was a four, <laughs> four stabs. I didn't know. Like this was this was 91 New York City, which was a little rougher than it is now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But speaking of uh, knives and potential murder and not wanting to miss a beat. Let's talk about Knives Out. I had to segue back in. I, I, you I, did it. Yep. I did not think I was going <laughs> to tell me being threatened by a stoned person or, or, or not stoned. I think someone who was on something mm-hmm. and uh, um, yeah, he wanted to kill me. But uh, someone was killed in Knives Out. I got to get it back. And that was uh, that was Thromby. But we're getting back mm-hmm. as our beloved Foghorn Leghorn, Benoit Blanc. Uh, I, I, you know what? I, I've said it. 
I did, I've done 10 minutes before this. I'm going to say it again. I love that Daniel Craig made an absolutely bananas decision with his voice in this film. Yeah, me too. I was watching this and I was reminding, have you seen the, uh, uh, the devil all the time, that movie recently? No, no, I have not. Uh, Pattinson, Robert Pattinson does mm-hmm. uh, another, uh, just like pretty much a, the, the same kind of, uh, uh, uh choice, but it, it's a little like lighter. He's got like this lighter, like uh Southern voice. Um, and I don't know. It just, I feel like Daniel, Daniel's commitment is, it, it makes it work so well. Like you, you just believe that you don't believe there's a British person doing a voice. You believe that this is his voice. Well, uh, I made the I made the comparison in some of the early minutes. So forgive the listeners. I'm repeating this, but it's it it's reminiscent of Albert Finney in the Murder on the Orient Express, yeah. uh, where his Belgian voice was so outrageous. It might as well have been you know I am and that's not and that is not at all what he sounds. That's not what Albert Finney sounds like in right. the slightest. But you know it it's it sort of winks to the camera going like, yeah, it's a murder, but we're, we're having fun here. Everyone's mm-hmm. just going to be having fun in this movie. And his crazy, you know, Belgian voice earned him an Oscar nomination and earned this earned Daniel Craig some criticism. And I, and I, I disagree. I like watching movie stars having fun. And this is him saying, I am not, if he did his regular voice, some part of your brain would have said, I'm looking at James Bond, similar to in Murder of the Orient Express, which featured Sean Connery. Uh, and he's like, he's using the same voice as Thunderball. But then again, he also uses that same voice when he's playing a Russian submarine captain. So I think that's more of a stance on Connery. But I, these are movie stars having fun. And, I, and I'm and i all for that. I, I, I just looking at the awards for Knives Out and uh, – I'm surprised Daniel didn't uh, get a nomination. He got a nomination for a Golden Globe for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I mean, just uh, listening to the commentary, Ryan Johnson's commentary, um, I mean, he said that Daniel pretty much had this last half hour just memorized. He could just go off the entire thing and be completely in character and be completely believable. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm surprised he didn't get, uh, you know – more awards thrown at him and, uh, you know, any sort of criticism about the acts. I just don't get it. <laughs> well, the, the other one who I thought should have gotten an, uh, an Oscar nomination, although, you know, it was a good, like, last year was a good year at the Oscars. It was not like there was a, it was not like a, a, you know, there were a bunch of, you know, lousy films made last, last year, but, uh, I thought Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, I actually really thought that she had a shot cause she's never been nominated. And, I thought that she had a real shot to get her first nomination for that film. But, hey, uh, instead, uh, she has the uh, consolation prize of having a decades-long career where she is uh, loved by a lot of people <laughs> there. Uh, yeah. you know, that's right. The Joker won for Best Actor. I'm just not a fan of that movie. I'm not a fan of the Joker movie. Uh, everyone else who was nominated last year for actor, uh, Antonio Banderas, uh, who was wonderful in the Almodovar film Pain and Glory. I actually wouldn't yeah. mind if he, if he had won. Leo Di- Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Kylo Ren, and uh, <laughs> Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. I, I just love Jonathan, Jonathan Price. In the supporting actor, you had Brad Pitt, who 
I felt was the lead actor in the film. I was very confused by that nomination. And then you had uh, the four who have already won. Anthony Hopkins, he's good in The Two Popes. Tom Hanks played Mr. Rogers fine. You had Pacino and Joe Pesci who were, I'm sorry, they were, I I don't know. I'm still not convinced that film ended. And then, um, and then you had, uh, yeah, the five who were nominated for supporting actress. You know, I, I didn't see the Richard Jewell film, but Kathy Bates is a great actress, so that's that's tough to get around that. Laura Dern, Florence Pugh for Little Women, Margot Robbie and Bombshell, Scarlett Johansson, Jojo Rabbit. Those were all four great performances. So yeah, it was it was a tough year to mm-hmm. to to pierce that. But ironically, if you're going to switch out Daniel Craig an actor, the one I would switch him out with was the guy who won the Joker. I just, I, <laughs> I, I just felt that film was a one note movie. And I felt yeah. that I was not impressed, but everyone else was. And so I maybe guess, the physical commitment to it is you I know, more guess. than that. I, I thought Tony Collette should have uh, gotten at least nominated for this movie that, supporting. I thought yeah. She was great. She was great. Maybe part of me was leaning towards Jamie Lee. I do think Jamie Lee Curtis is wonderful in the film. We're talking about two performances that aren't even in this minute. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I because Jamie Lee Curtis has never been nominated, I look at a lot of those like, you know, come on, give, give her something. You know, because Colette was nominated for um, The Sixth Sense. But I have a sixth sense that we have to get back to talk about this actual minute here. <laughs> it's um, all about content. We're good. <laughs> I know. I know. Um this is a great the, these minutes we have here is borderline monologue mm-hmm. by Daniel Craig and he I, it is you know I've become a huge Columbo fan and my kids love watching Columbo with me the joy of this or Miss Marple or Perot or any time you have the the person summing up everything all the all the little confusing details. This is the fun part of this. This is what this is yeah. watching the the lead soprano bust out the the aria. This is where <laughs> you go see a whodunit film with an intriguing uh, uh, inspector in the middle of it, and mm-hmm. I, he's just he's having a ball, and it's and it's I think that fun is infectious to the audience. But there's a very subtle thing that is happening in this minute. And we're going to go into more detail in the, the upcoming minutes where it becomes a little more obvious what he's doing. Right. But as he's talking, and it sounds like he's still trying to piece all the, the parts of the puzzle together when he's talking with um, uh, Marta and he's talking to Lieutenant Elliot, mm-hmm. as that you see when you rewatch it that he's not confused at all. He knows exactly what he's doing because you see yeah. he's got the vials in his hands and he's acting confused for everyone else. <laughs> but it, 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 that's the Columbo part of it. The Columbo always looked befuddled and overwhelmed, but in reality he was, he was actually smarter than anyone in the room. And Benoit Blanc is doing the same thing. He's like, I don't quite understand it. And yet he's got the vials, he's taking the jacket off and we, we find out eventually he's just setting up the the rug pull uh, that we'll we'll see in the next minute. Yeah, I was wondering if uh, it, it, because yes, when I started watching this minute, uh, it was on its own, and I was like, what what is he doing over there? What is he doing with his hands? And I realized, oh, he's uh, adding those labels to the the bottles, and uh, it, but you know, he's so he. I feel like he's got that worked out. 
how good of a nurse Smarta is, and he's going to set up the whole thing. And that's not even until next week's minute, like the beginning of next week's minutes, uh, how good uh, a nurse Marta is that Marta would know uh, yeah. the bottles instinctively. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't sure if he was like, uh, you know, several chess pieces ahead and he was just following a line through so everybody else could understand it. Uh, or if, uh, you know, he's working it out in his head. I mean, especially when he sits down in that, the, the great, the, the iron throne as it were. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I get this idea of, uh, you know, all the night, all the different ideas just pointing into his head as you know, like, and he's just got to figure it all out and he looks like he's really kind of straining, but you think that's all an act? I think it's an act. I think he's being a magician here. Mm. I think that, you know, when he, when a magician is doing his tricks, I think that it's, uh, you know, he does little things to distract you over here while they set up the trick there. I also think this is, it's funny that I, and again, those of you who have listened to the previous minutes, I'm going to bring up some stuff I've already talked about that a lot of Agatha Christie, obviously wrote a lot of novels, but she also became very popular because they were stage productions of her play of her stories. Uh, most famously in London is the mousetrap. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, there's a theatricality to this that he's almost playing it to. Yes. He's playing it technically to Lieutenant, Elliot and to Marta, but he's really playing it to the audience. And let's, it's basically, let's review all the pieces to the puzzle. And you see Marta is like, she's got her hands on her temple. She really is trying <laughs> to figure it out. And she even throws out, friend was trying to blackmail. And, and, and yeah. he has thought everything else. Like, no, she was doing for money. And, and why would someone, uh, you know, why would she not mention this? And then Lieutenant Elliot said, well, they must have known something. And, and he says, well, but then if they knew something, they wouldn't hide it. They would tell me and, you know, throw Marta under the bus. And so uh, I do think that he had, he does have it all figured out. Otherwise, why would he be changing the labels and remove, we find out later, he's not just removing his jacket for dramatic effect, but he's doing it because what he's going to eventually do, in the next few minutes, we're rolling the sleeves up. So I think this is part of there's, you know, he's famous or as, you know, as Tony Collette said, you're famous. I saw your, I read a tweet about you, but this is him basically showing everyone. I am this great theatrical, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to show you how good I am that I figured this all out and I'm going to pull the magic trick. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I you know I don't mean to push back against that, but it like uh, I think of the donut and the donut the the donut hole, the great donut hole thing, and uh-huh. how he's got the donut figured out. The that no matter what, uh, something happened with the medicine, and uh, and he's setting that up, but he's puzzling it out to who it could possibly be, who would benefit the most from it, and I feel like even. Even her suggesting Fran, like he looks at her and thinks about it and, and goes, no, that doesn't work because, you know, she wouldn't profit from it. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I can't make up my mind definitively that this is all completely figured out from the start. Well, the, well the, do you know what? This shows you why this is such a fun rewatchable yeah. movie. That you, you and I are both two people who, who watch freaking movies like this. <laughs> you know, we, we watch – we break – movies down a minute at a time 
And when we're not distracted by uh, people talking too loud in the movie theater or threatening <laughs> to murder me, we like to see these details. And this shows that this is a fun film that you can watch. We can watch the same effing minute and look up and say, yeah, we, we, we came out to different conclusions here. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of people here. Uh, uh, David Crank, Jeremy Woodward, and David Schlesinger are the production designer, art director, and set decorator for this movie. And mm. they do an extraordinary job of, and there's, there's a, the, the, Art direction production design is different from set decoration. And I think that the three of them did just, obviously the set is amazing and it's filmed on the location in Massachusetts, but if, you know, obviously the knives pointing into him are a great piece of over the top art direction, but being framed by the lions, there are pictures everywhere. And the set decorations of all the things on the table, the books, the the teapots, which of course, all these things that remind you of stuff earlier in the film, like you know the the tea being dropped when when Thromby is discovered, and the that there's like a rug being draped over like a tapestry on the top. Mm -hmm. the The art direction remains a part of the film, and it reminds you that where he's standing, the leather chair where he's standing at, and he moves over to the the chair with the knives that this is where we were introduced to him. He's back to where we were introduced to him. Yeah. But also the framing, when he talked to the, the family members earlier in the film, during the interrogation scenes, they were not sitting directly in the line of the knives. They were sitting a little bit to the right screen, right of it. Yes. So now he's sitting in as if to say, everything's, coming to this one point as opposed to we don't have it aimed yet. It could be any of these people. Yeah. It's uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you have the same facts, but I, on the commentary, Ryan Johnson said that this was, that they were all offset on purpose. This is the moment that uh, they were waiting for this moment to line that shot up, to line his head up. And mm -hmm. he says that uh, uh, I feel the shape of Daniel's head works perfectly in the middle of it. <laughs> Yeah, it does. oh, it's complete. <laughs> it's complete. It's like a giant halo coming out, a halo of knives coming yeah, out of it. Yeah, yeah. Even uh, when he was describing how it should be set up, he said it should be like a religious icon made out of knives. Oh, that's amazing, yeah. Yeah. And uh, David Crank, who is the production designer of the film, uh, had worked as, not as the lead production designer, but one of the art directors on the Spielberg film Lincoln, and he's also done work on a ton of Paul Thomas Anderson films, including right. There Will Be There Will Be Blood. So he's obviously someone who has uh, has the goods. And so, yeah, we have Benoit sits down in the how did you say it? The religious icon made of knives. <laughs> yes, that's beautiful. Yeah, they said they found it a uh, an industrial barbecue grate and wired all the knives to it. And uh, he said during like originally, uh, David Crank said it was originally uh, supposed to be the knives pointing out uh but uh no. yeah i love the idea of the knives pointing in because like i thought it was just, it's almost like pop art when he when it when it's lined up it's it reminds me of almost like a comic book all these different ideas coming into his head and yeah during that one moment it just kind of he's thinking about it and he looks pained almost like just sorting it all out 
uh, you know, and again, that's my, that's going along with my own point of view that, that he's working this all out at this moment, but we got, we got two points of view. We got, we got two minds watch the same. We watched the same GD minute and we came up with two different points of view. And I think that we both are, are valid. I mean, I'm correct, but I think we're with you. I think both are. <laughs> there was another, uh, another little fun story about the, the, uh, the knives chair is that, uh, when they're, Doing that shot, a uh, key grip came up to Ryan Johnson and he said, I see what you did there. And Ryan was just like, well, what, what did I do? And the grip said, the knife donut. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. And Ryan's like, oh, yeah, that was totally, uh, totally my idea. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Well, look at this has been a great, fantastic minute, but we got stuff. Benoit is pained. He said, yeah. and he says this will not be easy to hear. But uh, it's going to be wonderful to hear our guest, Robin Bird, show up in the next minute. So, Robin, where can people find your stuff? Uh, yeah, go on to, I mean, just search for Karate Kid Minute or Fright Night Minute uh, on Apple Podcasts or really anywhere you can find your podcast, Spotify and all that. Uh, and you can you can uh, find those uh, on there. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at L. Robin Yero. All right, fantastic. Well, look, it, this has been a ton of fun, but we got more